Welcome to another episode of Search News You Can Use with me, Dr. Marie Haynes. In this episode, we're going to talk about a relatively big algorithm update that happened this week. And uh, we'll go over some news that actually wasn't in the newsletter because it just came out this morning as I'm recording this on use of rel prev and next. If you are, are using that, you really want to pay attention to that um, and a bunch of other news as well. But I think we'll jump right in and get on to this discussion about this algorithm update. So March 12th of 2019 uh, was the most significant update that we've had in quite a few months. Uh, it was very similar to changes that we saw on August 1st, uh, which was the medic update, and also September 27th, which was an update that didn't have a name. Um, and in my opinion, this affected strongly your money or your life sites. So we're going to talk about this a little bit and talk about uh, what you can potentially do to recover if you were hit. And I'll share with you some examples of sites that actually did see improvements with this update. Um, we've had a number of clients that actually saw really nice improvements, so we're all pretty happy here in the office. Um, so let's talk first of all about the name of this update. So back in the days where we had Panda and Penguin updates, those names were provided by Google. Um, Panda, most of you probably know, was named after Nanveet Panda, who was um, uh, the one of the the creators of the patent uh, behind this uh, the theories in this or the the things that this this update did. Um, Penguin. We don't really know how it got its name. It was internally named Penguin by uh, some engineers at Google, uh, and I'm sure there's a story there. And who knows if it's connected to Panda, the whole black and white animal thing. Um, but Penguin was named by Google. Now, if you remember back in the day, we had Phantom updates, and Phantom was a name that Glenn Gabe put on. On these updates because he felt that uh, these were big enough updates that we should be taking notice of them, um, but we didn't have a name for them. Now, what Glenn called the phantom update back in the day uh, was actually what we're seeing now. These are core quality updates. So there have been a few people that suggested that we name this update Florida because um, it came out a, a week after a bunch of us were at PubCon Florida. However, there already is an algorithm update called Florida. Florida. Uh, I think it was, you know, back 2003 or so. I think I misquoted before. I, I thought it was more recently. Um, and Florida really had nothing to do with the changes that we're seeing now. Uh, and so some people said, well, let's call it Florida 2, which was really confusing. And then Danny Sullivan from Google came out and said, look, why don't we would prefer that you just call this the March core quality update. So that's what we're going to call it. I don't really care what it's called. The point is that it's significant. So this update, um, affected a lot of sites that were previously affected on August 1st or September 27th. August 1st, again, being the medic update. And what we're seeing is, so now my uh, list of sites that I have to review is probably a little bit skewed. I know it's skewed because uh, we see the sites that were hit on August 1st or September 27th. Um, a good number of those sites saw nice improvements. I haven't looked at the actual number of, you know, the percentage of our clients that saw improvements. I want to say it's probably about 75%. Now, not all of those saw massive improvements. Some of them saw just a little bit 
a blip up on March 12th. Um, but we've got some clients that saw either a full recovery or went on to see even more traffic at this point than they were getting before. Um, and so we really feel like, you know, whatever we're doing is working here. Uh, and pretty much the only underlying theme that I can see for all of these sites is that they're considered your money or your life. Now, there's a lot of confusion out there as to what uh, makes a site your money or your life. YMYL. If you're medical, financial, legal, then you can be guaranteed that your site is considered YMYL. I asked Gary Ish in Florida, actually, whether YMYL had different scales. You know, could we say that a site dealing with cancer um, diagnosis is more strongly YMYL than a site that, say, um, sells... I don't know, uh, medical catheters, something like that. Um, and what Gary said was, no, that's not the case. YMYL is a, it's, it, you either are or you're not. So my assumption when we're dealing with sites that have been affected by algorithm updates is almost every site that we review is to be considered YMYL. Um, if you take credit cards at all, I don't care whether you're taking credit cards for a $10,000 purchase or for a $4 purchase, you have to be a site that people can trust. And Google will not want to rank you well if you have all sorts of trust issues. So if you're e-commerce, you're definitely YMYL. Um, I would say if you're not sure if you're YMYL, just err on the side of caution and uh, assume that you are. I do think that what happens with some sites is even though there's not a sliding scale of how um, severely YMYL you are, I think that there can be certain queries that are YMYL and certain queries that are not. So for example, um, and I'm just coming up with these off the top of my head, but uh, if you have a site that, let's say it's an e-commerce site and you have information on your site as well, um, you know, some of your queries, if somebody's searching for buy green widgets and they end up on your site, that's a YMYL query. Um, but if they're searching for, you know, does uh, green widgets also come in blue, then, you know, that might not be a YMYL query and you might have, you might be able to rank for those things even if you're lacking EAT. So, what I've seen with the sites that saw major issues um, with this update on March 12th is that almost every one of them needed to have a certain level of EAT. And really, in every one of these cases, I mean, we, we usually recommend a bunch of changes. Um, and all of these sites worked on some sort of a technical issue, I think. Uh, but all of them put much more work into improving their EAT. So there's an article that just came out in Search Engine Land. Uh, this is actually my first publication on Search Engine Land. Um, they asked me to write a story uh, or an article about recovery stories that we had. So I've listed four uh, different articles, uh, four different websites that we helped see improvements and the things that they did to improve. Those of you who have been reading the newsletter for some period of time and listening to this podcast, it's not going to be a surprise to you the things that, um, you know, we think contributed to these improvements. Uh, things like better use of um, author bios. So you really want to make sure that all of your authors not only have expertise to write uh, on their topics, but that you demonstrate that. The other thing that we did was help people with their homepage, improving uh, the amount of EAT-related information that's on your homepage. Um, so you want people to come to your website, and if there's 
20 other websites that offer a very similar service to you. You want people to have the first impression where they say, oh, you know, there's all these websites that offer this service, but this one seems to be the leader. This one seems to be the one that we can trust. And that's very, very hard to do. But sometimes it's as simple as like, you know, we'll review legal websites, for example, and the above the fold content might say something like serving uh, North Carolina with all of your needs, you know, or our clients are 100% satisfied. And I have no idea from looking at that above the fold content, if you even are an attorney. Um, and why would I want to trust you rather than the other, you know, 50 attorneys that I can choose from in your area. Uh, and so really putting this information, we think even if Google's algorithms are not specifically looking at the content on your homepage um, to assess your authority, it doesn't hurt to have it there and it helps users to potentially trust you more. Um, so that's one thing. Uh, there are, I mean, I could probably talk for an entire hour, uh, if not longer, uh, on the other things that are in this search engine land article. Um, the other thing that I really want to emphasize is it's not enough to just have uh, expertise. So you can say, you know, I've been a doctor for 20 years, but if you are not recognized online as an authority in your area, then that's something you need to improve upon. So one of our clients uh, sent us, uh, we, we got a lot of really nice emails this uh, this last week saying, yay, our traffic is up. Um, and one of our clients was a chiropractor. And, uh, and, you know, he dropped with, I think it was the August 1st update. And what we said to him was, well, you know, you have real life experience, but there's really not a lot of signals around the web to say that you are known as an authoritative chiropractor. And so this client, we had him answering Harrow requests and, um, you know, contributing uh, all over the web, um, getting mentioned in different places. And some of you would say, well, yeah, I mean, if you get more links, of course, your traffic is going to improve, your rankings are going to improve. But it's interesting that even though he was getting authoritative links, things didn't improve until March 12th. He had this massive uh, increase in traffic, um, probably doubled what he was getting before. I can't remember the exact numbers now. Um, and the reality is that those new links that he got, it's like they didn't really help him until Google reassessed uh, his online authority and said, ah, yes, we think I mean, this is my interpretation. We think that they got a flag turned on that said, yes, this site has appropriate EAT to write on their subjects, and now they can rank properly. So I've got some examples in the newsletter, uh, mariehaines.com newsletter, of uh, sites that actually saw nice improvements. We haven't actually named any of our clients. Um, I, was, I was telling one of our clients who wanted to be named in the, uh, uh, the Search Engine Land article, I can't tell you how many times I've been to conferences and people have shared case studies about clients of theirs that uh, did really well. Um, and then they name the clients. And it's happened several times where the client was a direct competitor of one of my clients. So by going to a conference, or in this case, reading an article, I get a full um, outline of all of their competitive strategies. So, uh, you know, we don't usually mention our clients, but um, just know that uh, these are real life uh, clients. And, um, you know, we're, like I said, we're really thrilled be, to be seeing the improvements that we are seeing. Um, Glenn Gabe uh, had some interesting tweets about this update too and gave some examples of some sites. Uh, are, uh, you can see why some people think that this update is like a reversal of August 1st or September 27th um, because he's seeing you know some sites that saw increases August 1st and then decreases 
March 12th um, and vice versa. But there are really a, there are a lot of cases. Uh, we just got contacted by a, a site that had seen increases with every single update over the last couple of years and then a massive decrease with this update. Um, and so I think they look at a lot of the same signals, uh, but a lot of things have changed. Um, and probably what's happening here is that Google's just getting better at um, measuring quality. So, you know, with August 1st, they, uh, I don't think they specifically went after medical sites, but they probably said, look, we want to make it so that inaccurate medical advice is not ranking properly. And they tweak a few things. And then, yeah, there's going to be some fallout damage from that. There are going to be sites, we have some clients that saw drops that we really didn't think should have seen drops at that time. Um, and then those clients, saw some gains with this update. So it's not that Google reversed what was happening with the other updates, but they just refined the way that they determine um, what high quality is. It's interesting also to look at the sites that uh, came to us for reviews that have not seen improvements. Now, um, some of these sites were sites that we put in our report, you know, we're really concerned that you may never recover. Uh, and these are sites that existed because they were, um, you know, talking about how carrots cure cancer or how like there's some natural remedy that your doctors are hiding from you that uh, you really should know. And by the way, if you spend all this money on our product, we'll, you know, help solve your problem. So this type of site that really doesn't inspire trust and goes against scientific consensus, uh, those are the types of sites that we're seeing not making improvements. Um, so if you were hit by this update, I mean, it's still really early. Uh, you know, as I'm recording this, um, it's only like a week past the update has happened uh, and things may change. We usually, when we have a big update, we'll get little tremors uh, of, uh, of changes as Google refines what they're doing. Um, so if you were affected by this, I wouldn't panic just yet. Uh, I would read the article that I wrote on Search Engine Land uh, because there's a lot of really good tips in there. And as always, I would say really read all 164 pages of Google's Quality Raters Guidelines um, because you're going to get some good tips in there. There's not It's not fluff in there. They give real examples of sites that they think are high or low quality and exact reasons as to why. Um, so let's uh, move on here and talk about other things that have happened in the world of search over the last week. There was an announcement about Chrome light pages. I feel like this was announced before, but uh, but uh, but it, it may be a new thing. From what I can see, these Chrome light pages are for people that are on very, very slow connections. So if you have like a 2G connection on your phone, um, Chrome may automatically switch out content that you're seeing for content that's lighter and easier to uh, load quickly. So I don't have a lot of details on this, but uh, it will be interesting to see. If, if you get a lot of traffic from countries that are relatively underdeveloped, uh, you might find that uh, Google is showing or Chrome is showing users your uh, light version of your page. Uh, I'm not sure how this works for tracking um, for analytics and whatnot. So we're going to keep an eye on that. And uh, just thought I would mention it um, because I think that's relevant to some of you who are listening to this podcast. Uh, let's see here. I'm going to skip over a lot of the little details from the newsletter. Um, let's see. There's an interesting question on Twitter. Uh, somebody asked John Mueller whether a short URL has an advantage over a long one. And he said, uh, when Google's trying to pick a canonical for the URL, they'll generally use the shorter URL. 
that's interesting, right? I mean, he said there's other factors as well. But if you have a URL that's, you know, slash product, and then you have another one that's slash product with uh, parameters like color, size, you know, whatever, um, it's more likely that the the naked URL of slash product is the one that is the canonical. Um, so I don't think we need to run from this and say like, oh, we should no longer be creating long URLs, um, but it's just something to be aware of. So if you're having trouble getting Google to recognize a canonical URL, who knows, you may see some benefit from actually making the URL shorter, um, but you want to be careful. You don't want to just go randomly changing your URLs because then you've got to redirect things and there's all sorts of chances to break stuff. So uh, something to be aware of um, anyhow. Uh, somebody asked John Mueller as well about a site that was seeing some 500 error codes. Um, so just to, to take a step back here, uh, there's server response codes, right? And so you want, you know, a page that uh, resolves properly and is doing everything as expected will uh, return a 200 code, service response code. Um, and that means, yeah, everything's working fine. And then you've all heard of 404 codes. So the 404, um, you know, means, hey, you know, this page used to be here, but it's no longer live. Uh, and if you get a 500 server error uh, or any of the five whatever server error codes, um, you know, this basically means like something is really, really broken. Uh, and you should be trying not to return 500 ser server codes. So what, what John said was in general, you should uh, aim to avoid having URLs that trigger server errors um, such as 5xx result codes regardless of where they come from. So if URLs are invalid for your site, you should return 404 so that it's clear that they're not valid for your site. So if you were seeing, uh, Search Console is a good place to look for this. Um, if you're seeing that you have a lot of 500 server errors, then that's something you want to look into uh, and make sure that they re return a 404. I know that got kind of technical there, but um, this can be significant. We don't see this as an issue in a lot of the sites that we review, but, uh, but it's worth noting at any point. Um, let's see here. So uh, a really good tip from John. Again, uh, somebody asked him about tips for product pages for e-commerce sites and, uh, whether text is important on those product pages. So we see this all the time, you know, we'll see a product page that has like, here's the product, here's the stock description, um, of the product. And then, you know, here's the dimensions and that's basically it. Um, what John said is another thing to consider is the purpose of your page. What's the user intent you're trying to cover? If you're adding random information to a category page, it's still an e-commerce page for users with shopping intents, is it? Make up your mind, focus, don't blindly stuff text. So what John, I think, is trying to say here is we see this all the time on product and category pages where there's a block of text that's really just there for search engines. I call it SEO content. So, you know, if you have a page on selling a green widget and you have this five lines of text that are like green widgets are great. Here's why you should buy a green widget. We love green widgets because blah, 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 blah. Very few people are going to read that text. And in the past, those keywords on the page would actually help your ranking. But now um, Google's getting pretty good at figuring out like, hey, you know, nobody's actually going to read this text. It shouldn't help boost a page's ranking. So what can you add to product pages to make them rank better? One of the examples that I gave in my search engine land article 
of a site that saw massive recovery is a site that actually rewrote all their product descriptions um, so that they were unique from the uh, stock descriptions. I know that, that that that's not practical for most of you, um, but it's something that could help. They added uh, customer reviews and they really encouraged customers to leave reviews. They had guides on the page. So if I was looking for green widgets and there's 400 different pages that sell green widgets, um, but my site has this guide that helps people choose green widgets and people legitimately are using the guide, then it's more likely to rank well. So I really would encourage you who do, uh, you know, most of you I think who do SEO on e-commerce sites, there's a huge emphasis on technical issues and that's not wrong. Um, e-commerce sites can very easily sprawl and produce an insane amount of thin content um, and content that's never landed upon from search and those things most definitely should be cleaned up. But in some cases, if you can actually work on providing more value for users than the other competitors have, then Google's, I think, able to pick up on this. So I would really encourage you to look at the value that your pages are providing. It's very, very hard too often to get clients to buy into this idea that we have to be spending hundreds of hours in improving our product pages. Uh, but we really think that this is something uh, that will help to drive more conversions. And I would encourage you to, to look at that type of thing. Uh, there's a couple things in the newsletter this week on the use of iframes in the head. So let's unpack that for those who are not familiar with iframes. Um, an iframe is a, a basically um, you can take HTML and basically inject stuff from somebody else's site or from one of your other sites into your site. Uh, so let's say... Um, I created a tool, oh gosh, I'm trying to think of a good example here. I think most of you know what an iframe is, but you're basically taking somebody else's content, uh, somebody else's HTML, and putting it into your site. Uh, or like I said, HTML from your own site. Um, and then the head of the document comes before the body of the document in HTML. And the head should not contain iframes. So what a couple people are finding is that if you have an iframe in the head of your document, then everything after the iframe can be ignored by Google. So let's say you have an iframe and then you have very important, uh, a canonical tag that's really important um, on the page, then Google may not recognize that canonical. So, uh, you know, the best thing to do here is to make sure that you're not pulling information from iframes into the head of your document and that this is in the body of your HTML. Uh, Martin Split has some new, uh, he's doing every week an episode on JavaScript tips and I'm not gonna, we don't have time to cover all of these tips uh, today, but I, if your site relies on JavaScript at all, you really, really should be paying attention to Martin's weekly um, tips. Uh, there's a lot of really, really good stuff there. We've summarized them in the newsletter, but I would encourage you to um, to read uh, or to watch his video. Um, as a side note, Martin is actually going to be visiting us here in Ottawa uh, at some point in the next few months. I think he's in town for a conference, and we're going to put together a lunch meeting. Uh, we were going to do it kind of almost like a conference, but we realized we don't have the, <laughs> the time to do that. We're just so busy right now. Um, but we're going to do a, a one-day lunch meeting, and if you are in the area or you want to meet Martin or me or you know any of the local SEOs then uh, stay tuned for that feel free to reach out to us um, at help at mariehaines.com and uh, we can share with you more details on that but I think that's going to be kind of cool we have a few tips from recent help hangouts uh, let's see I'll cover a couple of these here 
Um, some of this we've actually already covered. Uh, I've talked about this before, but translated content. If you're using a machine to translate your content, you probably don't want to have that content indexed. Um, the exception is if the machine does such a good job that native speakers of that language can't tell that it's machine translated, then it's okay. But otherwise, that type of content can actually cause Google to consider your uh, entire um, you know, section of your website or even your entire website as lower quality if you have enough of it. Um, I think we'll skip on from help hangout information there. And actually, I'm going to skip over a bunch of this stuff here. Um, more on iframes in the head. Really, like if you're using iframes in the head of your document, you want to read the stuff that's in the uh, uh, the newsletter. A couple local SEO things. Uh, there's some new guidelines for seasonal businesses. Um, Joy Hawkins wrote a really good post on that. And so if you have uh, a business that has different hours depending on the season, you really want to look into what Joy's written on this. Um, basically, uh, Google My Business previously recommended that you delete your business hours um, in Google My Business when it was off season. And uh, and now you can mark things as temporarily closed and, and other things like that. So I, I would um, recommend that you look into that. Um, Google Maps now on desktop is giving people the option to search reviews. And I, I feel like I've talked about this before, but this is significant. Um, so when I'm looking for a hotel, the two things that are most important to me are number one, that the bed's comfortable, and number two, that uh, it's not noisy. So I search the reviews for comfortable or uncomfortable or uh, noise, and I see what people are saying. One thing that you can do, it's perfectly okay for Google My Business to ask people to leave a review for you. And it's also okay to try and kind of steer the wording that they use in the review. Obviously, you don't want to provide them with the exact review to publish. Um, but you can say something like, like, let's say you're known for having the most comfortable beds of any hotel in your city. Then you can say, hey, were our beds comfortable? We've been working on that. Um, if you found them comfortable, could you leave us a review to let others know? And then people are going to use that word comfortable in their review. Um, so number one, not only can people search for the word, but number two, having those words in your review can actually make you uh, rank higher in Google My Business for people who are searching for that type of thing. Um, you know, I don't know how many people actually do a Google search for hotel with comfortable beds, but I think, you know, it's possible. So that's something to pay attention to. The words that are in your reviews probably can help you um, improve with rankings. Um, let's see. There's a tip here too on how to add a Q&A if it doesn't exist uh, for your, your business. So if you're Google My Business and you don't have Q&A, uh, Andrew Shotland has a, um, uh, an article, and I've just realized in the newsletter we didn't link to it. I'm going to fix that, um, but we'll, uh, we'll link to that article on how he found a way to actually get Q&A working for your business. So um, that's kind of a cool thing to, to look into there as well. I think that may be almost it. Yeah, so that's all we're going to cover this week. Um, really, the biggest news was this big algorithm update. And I'm pouring over, you know, as much information as I can get on sites that saw gains or losses. If you do want to reach out to our team, um, help at mariehaines.com is by far the best way to reach us. And uh, we do have a waiting list for site reviews. But if you want to get on that list, then reach out and we'll give you the details on how to do that. Um, the one thing that we are, we don't have a huge waiting list for and that we're growing 
finding out more is link audit work. Um, if you and that's we're going to be pushing that pretty strongly uh, fairly soon. So if you are thinking of having a link audit done by our team and you don't want to get pushed onto a waiting list, now is the time to contact us. So I'm about uh, ready to take off for the day. I'm thinking I'm going to play a lot of Fortnite this weekend because it's been a really, really busy uh, week with this algorithm update and I'm just totally going to de-stress and veg out this weekend. So if you're trying to reach me, you probably can't. Um, I hope you have a fantastic weekend and I really hope that your rankings have done well with this recent algorithm update. Take care and we will uh, reach out to you soon. Thank you.